Hello, welcome back to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dyler Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dyler Coltman. We have been off for another week. We're, t- we're sort of doing this like lazy August where we're doing every other week. It was just like a summer break. We're going to call it. That's what it was. It was planned all along every other week for August. But don't you worry. We're about to get back into the swing of things because we've got the NHL um, offseason nearing its end. We have the NBA wrapping up its uh, summer league and all of the, the festivities that lead towards the beginning of its season. And unlike last season where both of those leagues had to wait till nearly Christmas to get going, they will get started on a regular schedule. So we will have lots to talk about coming into the fall we are excited for that uh welcome back boys how was your week off last week elliot it was wonderful but i did miss you gentlemen so it's nice to be back here and nice to be talking about sports no matter how slow august is Braden, yeah i'm doing well i'm excited to be back talking about uh all things sports not just basketball um but i was uh had a good time last week uh, recording our second episode of the backyard basketball podcast uh you can find on wednesdays on this network uh, quick little plug there, and uh, yeah, ready to get back to this converse, these conversations. Yeah, it was a great episode of your show. Both you and Christian have been doing a great job with it, and it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to. So Hattrick listeners who haven't checked that out, go and find that. It's got its own feed, the Backyard Basketball Podcast. The two of them have a great uh, repartee, and they dig in. It's kind of a more long-form, windy conversation than this show, uh, and, but it's great. They dig on basketball, and it's a great thing for us because it means Elliot and I don't have to talk too much about basketball, so it's fun. Uh, also, uh, just a little bit more housekeeping before we kick this week's episode of Hattrick off. The other show that is hosted on this uh, stream is the Pit Stop Podcast. Uh, they are coming off their summer break. They have three back-to-back-to-back races, uh, a little hat trick of races, if you will, uh, to get back into the second half of the season, and the second half of the season keeps getting shorter. They cut the race that was supposed to be run in Japan, uh, unfortunately, so we are seeing more races still come off because COVID is still uh, ravaging many parts of the globe, unfortunately, including Alberta, but we won't get into that. Let's uh, just remind you that the Pit Stop podcast will be back this week. We've just shifted the format a little bit after the this, this summer break. It used to be a preview show. We would do it on like Thursdays before race weekend. We're now going to do it um, on the Tuesdays following races. So it's more of like a recap and then a setup for what's coming next. But Braden and I were just enjoying talking about what had just happened a little bit more than sort of the teeing you up and setting up. So we're going to do that on Tuesday. You can look for that right here on this feed. All right, let's get to it. This is Hatchet. Okay, topic one this week. Um, it has been a long off season so far for the NHL, especially if you are Oilers fans. We haven't seen hockey as Oilers fans all the way back since we were swept by the Winnipeg Jets. But it has been a busy off season, and we thought as we start to wind down August and prepare for preseason and all of the festivities that lead towards the NHL season, we wanted to talk a little bit about the off season. So we've had some time for the dust to settle. Not a lot of movement after the original flurry, a late draft, and a late start to free agency at the end of July. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into a little hat trick of topics uh, for the next three weeks. Uh, and each week we're going to talk about one part of the Oilers off season. So this week we are going to focus on the forwards, um, the front half of the lineup moves, uh, signings, trades, and all of that, what the team's shaping up to look like going into the off season and just what we are, what our thoughts are on that. We've had some time to digest it. So let's get right to it. Elliot, after everything uh, that we saw this off season, players coming in, players going out, obviously a lot of the focus was on the defense, which we will talk about next week. Um, but there has been some upgrades and some changes, whether you call them upgrades or not, but some personnel changes on the front end, obviously the biggest one being Zach Hyman. What are your thoughts and initial feelings uh, so far as you've had some time to think about the Oilers offseason from the forwards no. perspective? 
Yeah, I mean, they had a big job to do in the forward. So heading into this year, it was, it's, you know, you have to remember, Ryan Nugent Hopkins was an unrestricted free agent. Uh, there were there was clearly calls for a, a need for a deeper bottom six. Um, and, and, and ultimately, the big one, uh, which you mentioned in Zach Hyman, was filled around a scoring winger, winger for Connor McDavid. I think if you're the individual that's going to go into the hockey season next year as an Empson Oilers fan with high hopes, you're pointing at the moves that were made at the front end this year. They are a, they are a much better team uh, in their forward group. They're, they're a much deeper team, uh, arguably one of the, the deepest teams that the, we've ever seen as Oilers fans, just given how old we are. Um, and so as a fan, you know, my early impressions are you have to be pleased about this. Uh, this is this is a very exciting group and and is the forward group that, to complement Leon and Connor that I think we we're hoping for coming out of uh, a disappointing end to last season. Braden, yeah, I'm I'm with Elliot. Uh, the the hype around the um, the forward group in the off season here. Uh, I think Ken Holland's done a great job in building the, the especially around the holes that were you know were, were we were severely lacking. Uh, I want to. I mean, yes, Hyman's a great uh, a great addition to that top line. Nuge, I think, was the best signing, but um, Warren Fogle and and Derek Ryan, uh, Ryan as an addition on the bottom end, uh, both guys who can score at a clip on a five on five. Uh, it's nice to see that there's going to be a little bit of room here for opportunities for the young guys. Um, Ryan McLeod had a great kind of uh, end to the season last year. Um, you know, there's going to be some room for Tyler Benson and Cooper Marotti to try to make the team. Um, not sure if they're going to necessarily make the starting day roster. Um, but I do think that, uh, that we've got a, a really great punch going and uh, going into the next season here. Yeah. I think I would agree with both of you that there's some positives there. I think it's always hard to judge uh, all of these until we start seeing some of these guys out there. There's always the game of uh, you know, we, I think we always try to see the rosy side of any of these deals because it's hard sometimes to, to look at that, I think the hard thing for the Oilers uh, offensively in the last couple of years has been that they have had these two absolutely insanely talented guys leading them in Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, back-to-back Hart Trophy winners on your team. Any team that has that kind of firepower up front is always going to struggle to find the right pieces to surround them with because any player uh, next to them is going to look much oh, yeah. worse than they would on a lot of other teams, right? You're, you're comparing them to such high Cassian. levels. Yeah. yeah. When you think about and you look at the statistics of, guy, of a guy like Zach Hyman, you know, Zach Hyman, you know, would still be fourth uh, on the Oilers team had he played for them last year from a forward perspective in points. Nugent Hopkins had more points than, than Zach sure. Hyman did with the Maple Leafs. So he fits in in a place where he's still really, really valuable for this team's in its, in its top six. So that's an upgrade for sure. Warren Fogle, I agree, Braden. He has some upside for sure, but he's also one of those players who I think has a a much higher ceiling than he's yet achieved. He's young. He's 25. Mm-hmm. There's space there. He had 20 points last year, and this, that's nothing to scoff at for sure. But the player that I'm really happy to see that we spent a little bit of money, even if it perhaps was a slight overpay, is a guy like Derek Ryan. And Derek Ryan, I think, adds something this team has lacked in the past, which is abilities to win faceoffs in and, and, and really be a – uh, shut down centerman on a fourth line. We haven't had that. We've been asking Nugent Hopkins to do it. We tried to turn Jujar Kara into that in the past couple of years, but the, he just wasn't that kind of guy. Derek Ryan has shown when he played in Calgary, 
and last year in Carolina, that he can play the difficult minutes on the penalty kill. And he's he's a versatile and, and sort of one of those um, unique players who has the ability to be offensive in the right situation, but he his first priority is always going to be making sure that he's sound defensively. And I think that, for me, is the is the the most important signing that they made from 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 the forward perspective. All the other shiny pieces of Hyman and all that that's great. We needed that very important. Totally, totally. But you also have to make sure that the bottom half of your lineup could do its job. So I got a quick question here. There's you know like, and we're not quite at the point where we're projecting what lineups look like, but is Nugent Hopkins better served as a center on a third line, or is he better served on that wing running up and down on, on the first and second line? Elliot. Well, I think that that's sort of the beauty of Ryan Nugent Hopkins (laughs) is that he's good in both spots. For sure. Um, I I mean, I think that there is a dream. Uh, There was such success, not last year, the year previous with Leon Dreisaitl, um, Nuge and Yamamoto. And I think if you could get that line going again in the second line capacity, it's like a real second line scoring unit. Um, uh, and the Oilers have the depth to support that now, which is, I think is important. Um, you know, that's probably where you I, would ideally have him. I think that what you're doing is looking into the uh, crystal ball, Bray, and, and you're thinking about like, you know, two, three, four years down the road, maybe not two, three, three, four years down the road, that's the player that Ryan Nugent Hopkins transitions to, that third line uh, defensive line and center with, you know, some capacity to score. But I think right now, based on what he's being paid, I think he's a second-line player. He needs for to be sure. a second-line yeah, player for the for Oilers sure. to, to do what they need to do, right? Yeah, and I think the other piece of it, Braden, is depth. We just don't have that guy who's going to fill that that spot right now. And the tricky part is... I, You're talking on the wing? Well, both places, and that's what's tricky about it. I appreciate yeah, yeah. why that's a conundrum, because what else do you have? You've got Kyle Turris or Derek Ryan on the third line currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or well, Ryan you have McLeod. one of these young guys coming up. And McLeod did play very well yeah. uh, in the in the little period of time we got there near the end of the season. And I do think that you know he will definitely get a shot to He'll crack the opening day roster for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that both Holland and Tippett were very impressed with him. And you know until he proves them otherwise, he's he's shown that he at least can can stick with the NHL pace. Can he do that over 82 games? We're going to find out. None of these guys played 82 games last year, so we'll see. The other, not question mark, because I think we all know the deal is going to get done, but the other... Um, the only sort of missing piece of business to be attended to is Kyler Yamamoto is still without a, uh, a contract. He's still an RFA. So they're still negotiating and finishing out what that deal is going to look like. I would assume it'll be sort of a bridge deal to get two him through, two. but he needs to <laughs> bounce back too because he had such an amazing 2020 prior to the, to the stoppage. And last year, I think he just didn't quite get back to fun. that same performance. Yeah, yeah, and and if fun. he can be a top, six guy then the Edmonton Oilers really are going to be able to compete all year long uh and 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 push push to be a you know top of the division at least well it's interesting you say that too because it's going to be really important to see the progression pool party has as well you know he came back after after being in Europe and everyone was kind of like okay well whatever we get we get if he's shitty then you know we're used to it but if uh you know if he can step it up that'd be great and he's i think he's going into a contract year this next year as well so it's going to be really important for uh for that progression the coaching staff have a lot of options that's what's cool this year i really like what's going on with the oilers this year on the yeah so i think that's what what we'll have to wait and see what the preseason gives us like like elliot said there's options and there's also some just some interesting storylines even as far as some of these young guys coming up i don't think we're going to see dylan holloway in the 
starting day roster, but what 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 does he have to to offer and at at preseason and 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 to push some guys and obviously Tyler Benson. I think we're getting close to that to that transition period where it's like, all right, Tyler Benson, you're going to be an NHL player or, or you or are you not? Because the potential for has the been Oilers there, you know. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and to see what's there for him, you know. Um, so we, we, we shall see. Uh, next week, we will talk about the defense, but for now, we will leave it there. That was topic one. Hey, guess what? The Ordinary Podcasting Network has a brand new show. If you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to enjoy the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Braden Della Coldman, who is one of the hosts of this show here, Hattrick, hosts an amazing basketball show with one of his best friends, Christian Steck. Together, the two of them will break down the NBA, news from around the basketball world, and get you caught up on everything you need to know. It's fun. It's fast. They have great conversation and banter. They love basketball, and you will love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can also follow them on Instagram at backyardbasketball underscore podcast. All right, topic two. This one's just fun, and uh, very rarely in the NHL nowadays do we see offer sheets, but when we do, it's always entertaining, Um, especially (laughs) as Oiler fans, if we all remember back to uh, Kevin Lowe offer sheeting. Dustin Penner and annoying the hell out of Brian Burke, but uh, we just have some some good old fashioned Twitter trolling that's become part of this story and just a lot of fun. So here's here's the background of this one before we get into it. The Carolina Hurricanes um, offered, uh, pardon me, offer sheeted uh, Jasper Kniemi from the Montreal Canadiens yesterday. Uh, they offered him a one year six point one million dollar offer sheet. Now. For those uninitiated in the NHL's uh, salary cap era of contracts, uh, when you have an RFA or a restricted free agent, they are the uh, they have exclusive negotiating rights with their team up until the point that free agency opens. At which point, any other team can offer them a contract, and in doing so, they uh, set up a transaction where if the player accepts that offer and the current team that owns that player chooses not to match it the team that is taking the player owes the team that the player came from some form of compensation. The higher the salary amount, the greater the compensation. This seems like, oh, well, this must happen very often. It doesn't. There's sort of a gentleman's code that's been set up here in the NHL because general managers are very (laughs) old-fashioned conservative people and they don't like to be screwed over, and it's a small uh, fraternity. However, this has a history. So the Carolina Hurricanes had a player, or have a player, named Sebastian Ajo, who in 2019 was offersheeted by Montreal. So Montreal offersheeted Sebastian Ajo back then, and now as retribution, apparently, <laughs> the Canes, who obviously want the player, have offersheeted him. When I say it's retribution, it's because the tweet that announced that this happened from Carolina was in French and was the exact word-for-word quote of what Mark Bergevin had said at the time. He offersheeted Sebastian Ajo saying, Sebastian Ajo accepted a deal to come to Montreal. He's very excited about the opportunity with this organization, blah, 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 blah. And the Hurricanes basically wrote the exact same thing in their tweet in French as a little bit of a stab. And then on Twitter followed it up with a um, change direction card from Uno and a tweet that simply said, LOL. Uh, They are clearly having fun with this whole situation. The big question mark is, Will Montreal match this deal? Should Montreal match this deal? Is this deal absolutely ridiculous for the price tag for Cockney, or is it worth it? Uh, and just overall, 
we don't get a lot of this kind of fun and uh, excitement drama-wise on social media from the NHL, at least not very often. So it's been certainly um, fun to watch. Elliot, what were your thoughts or what are your thoughts as you saw this whole thing unfold? And uh, what do you think? Where are we going with this? Is this going to become a common occurrence? Well, no, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely not going to be a common occurrence and it's not a common occurrence in the NHL and you understand exactly why. Um, because they're, you piss off the other team and they might come back and offer shoot one of your really young stars or someone that they want to access uh, in years down the road. It's one of those things that it seems general managers don't seem to forget about. Let's not also forget that this also caught... If you if you match the offer sheet of a team that's trying to get your guy, that guy has to come back and play for your team after having signed a deal with another team. And we've seen a number of examples where that's caused friction and issues. I, you know, I think Aho. about Shea Weber. Aho, Aho himself in, 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 in Carolina is a good example. Shea Weber back in the day is another example. You know, end up being traded out of there after being offer sheeted, signing somewhere else, and then having to come back. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's you know this is why it doesn't happen very often because it 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 caused causes tumult in a league that really does not like this kind of tumult. Yeah. Look, this for me solidifies in my mind why I love the Carolina Hurricanes and why they are quickly moving up this rankings in terms of one of my favorite teams in the NHL after the Edmonton Oilers and particularly their owner Thomas Dundon, who has really done a remarkable job of marketing his team both in the league, but also, you know, in a really difficult market as something that's interesting and fun to watch. He's sort of like becoming, you know, someone described it as the Jerry Jones of hockey. And, and, and you're either going to love him or you hate him. And the old school, old NHL guys, they hate him. They hate the stuff that the Carolina Hurricanes were doing at the end of the games. They hate the Twitter stuff that would come out of this. But if you're someone like Jordan and myself, who I know like love this kind of stuff like this, this only endears the team and him to us more. And I think that it's exactly the kind of new blood and fresh fun stuff that can heat up rivalries, heat up leagues and make things interesting. There's a bunch of other stuff. Like there's a $20 signing bonus uh, as part of this deal, which references Christian Ajo's 20, uh, his, his, his player number and like a 15, which is like, uh, um, uh, yes, Barry's number. Anyway, just I, I don't have a really good point to make here, but I love it. I'm one of those people that believes that this is the kind of stuff that's good for hockey. It's good for hockey south of the border. Um, but I'm also glad like I, I, I don't think our friend Jimmy, Jamie Henry is probably loving this move today. Let's just say that. I uh yeah I I'm I'm absolutely with you. I think it's so much fun for the culture of hockey and and the fandom. I think that that's something that um it, it, it you know the the NHL lacks is that kind of excitement. Um, off season is so much fun to begin with. Uh, in terms of a bi- hockey business move, I I do not see the value being equivalent to a first and a third for Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Um, now and and also a six point one, six point one, and a and a one year deal. So you're yeah. you're giving up a it, this is a rental. Um, unless they think they can re-sign them. I mean, that's... that's well, I've got theories on this. I'll, I can circle back on that. So here's, my, so here's my theory, though. I think that Montreal might do something even further with this, and, and I think Jack Eichel is involved. I think that that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> I think that Jack Eichel might be on his way to Montreal, and I think Kotkaniemi might be a guy who ends up going to Buffalo, and Buffalo signs him. Um, and that's Bergevin's way of saying, 
screw you. To so what you're suggesting is that Montreal will match the deal and then trade him at a 6.1 cap hit? Uh, I, I think that, well, can they, can they trade him with the offer on the nope. table? Well, they could trade him with the offer on the table, but the offer still stands. So then, Mon- well, then, then Buffalo, Buffalo would, would have be put to. in a position. That's right. Buffalo would yeah. have to match it. But they've got a first and a third now to deal for Jack Eichel's rights. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. If they go, if they, if they, if they don't match, right. That's right. So what you're telling me is that Bergevin actually might be orchestrating this whole thing. I think Bergevin might uh, consider all of the options in this deal. And I think Bergevin, I think you're giving Mark Bergevin way too much credit. It's like suggesting that he would never touch Carey Price. So he exposed him to protect somebody else. And did Seattle take him? And did Seattle take Carey Price? No, but I think that's because they didn't call his bluff. They didn't call his bluff. Here's the thing That's right. that I want to say about this whole thing. Elliot's absolutely right. I do love it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. And I'm enjoying every minute of it on Twitter, which is what it is. Yes, is it very no, gimmicky? Totally. 100%. I think Elliot's – the only thing I disagree with Elliot on is this. I think Elliot has got the wrong owner-general manager combo or the wrong owner uh, analogy in Jerry Jones. Yes, Jerry ah. Jones and the Dallas – Cowboys is a very large personality, but Dundon, who is it? Dundon, yeah, who is also from Dallas, is actually more like a different Dallas owner, and it's Mark Cuban. He is he is NHL's Mark Cuban. He is about him. He loves this brand. He's enjoying being a part of the brand. We don't see that very often in the NHL, um, and that's part of what's fun about it. You're absolutely right, Elliot. You know they've they've embraced the heel role to steal a, a wrestling term. They, they like to be, you know, well, literally, I mean, Don Cherry in one of his final, you know, uh, salvos across, you know, uh, the airwaves in Canada was calling the, the celebrations they were doing post victories. They, he called the team a bunch of jerks and they are literally selling merchandise to this day under the slogan, bunch of jerks. They are embracing the heel role. They like being the bad guys. This is a hockey move, but they're very much aware of how they can manipulate and use their social media platforms. And we're seeing that more and more in the NHL to give a lot of teams credit you know the Seattle Kraken have already come into the league with some good social media game they're having some fun on Twitter Vegas is absolutely amazing at this they love to do this the early games in their in their inaugural season where it was like hey we're undefeated at, you know all time and things like that was so much Did fun the Oilers have a Twitter it. account I don't know. They're certainly not very exciting <laughs> and interesting. Incredibly conservative about how they do it. But like, think about gritty and and how you have literally a cultural phenomenon occurring in terms the overall the NHL branding. And as the NHL moves into ESPN, and we're going to talk about ESPN in the next topic. But as they move into this new marketing deal and the the way in which they want to grow the game in the United States, I think this is a great example of how even an actual business transaction hockey move that from a general manager's perspective is nothing to joke about. This is a serious decision they made. They are putting a lot on the line, giving up those picks and putting this amount of money on a young player like Cockney who look, I don't know if he's worth $6.1 million today, but they are, that's a big bet on a, on a, on a very talented young guy who might one day get there. Um, but, but, as much as it's a serious business deal, they are also as an organization flexible enough to find the, the, the way to, to sort of exploit it and turn it into a, 
to a moment. And look, they've owned the news cycle NHL-wise for the last 24 hours, and that's exactly what you want if you're in a small market. And went, went after the big, bad Montreal Canadiens who are getting Absolutely. a lot of bad press about some Absolutely. other stuff too. So there's that. Hey, just a quick thought. It's a one-year deal. He's still a restricted agent after or a restricted free agent after this year. They have to qualify him at six point one million. That's so right. it's a big it's yeah, a, so it they was believe a big decision. They clearly believe in him. They wouldn't be doing this just for petty like no no owner or general manager is gonna just sign off on this as as a revenge tactic. They do but believe it. They just find an opportunity it, in it. At the here's same why time. I think Eichel's involved. They lose Kotkin Yemi, they've lost two of their main starter uh, centers. Uh, like they're going to be, they're going to be absolutely hooped if they don't go after something all the other centers are gone. Like there's, well, look, if they get that first and third, then they've certainly got something to turn it into, but well, I guess we'll wait and see. I don't all see right. how, I don't see how Kotkin Yemi fits down the middle in, in Carolina though. I don't, I don't, I don't see how that works. Aho, Trocek, Stahl. Oh, Stahl's old. You got to start planning for the future. Third line, yeah, six point one third line. Well, he's not going to play in the third line. They'll put him so, on the wing well, before then, they put him on the third line. Yeah, or they'll move some of the other guys. They're pretty packed. Over. They're pretty yeah. packed up front. I mean, it'd be it'd be yeah, it'd be a great addition, but we shall see. All right, that's topic two. Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. All right, topic three this week. We're going to talk about ESPN, sort of the fall of the mighty, the great network that once was... And uh, I mean, after controversy after controversy, they have found themselves again embroiled in one. Um, this one surrounding Rachel Nichols and the Jump. So Rachel Nichols, who has hosted the Jump since I believe 2016, uh, has been removed from on-air uh, content on the network, and the show The Jump has been canceled. This follows a report that came out in the New York Times on July 4th detailing critical comments she made about a fellow ESPN host, Maria Taylor. So Nichols, who is white, made the comments last year when she learned that Maria Taylor, who is black, would lead ESPN's NBA Finals coverage after the network had already announced in a news release in October of 2019 that Nichols would be the host. So ESPN had changed their minds, and Maria Taylor, who was an up-and-coming star at the network, was going to take over the finals coverage. In a phone conversation that was accidentally recorded by an ESPN server without Nichols' knowledge and obtained by the New York Times through an informant or a source, Nichols said, and I quote, I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football. She covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy long-time record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it, just find it somewhere else. You're not going to find it from me or taking my thing away. The Times reported that both the show's crew and several people inside the network were very upset when they heard this information. Nichols apologized while hosting the jump on July 5th. And uh, it also, I think, um, should be noted that ESPN was made aware of this information as far back, they believe, as um, January, February 
of that year. So ESPN had been sitting on this information. It was leaked to the New York Times. The report came out. Rachel Nichols was basically just given a slap on the wrist, left on the show. She apologized, sort of had her public flogging, and moved on. All right, I'm going to go to Elliot first on this one. Uh, Elliot, what are what were your thoughts when you first heard this story this week that the jump had been canceled, that uh, Rachel Nichols had been removed, and just sort of ESPN in general uh, as this whole debacle has continued? Thoughts? You're going to me first on this one, eh? So I think that there's let's there's too much to unpack, in, 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 and I want to be respectful of your guys' time. Let's focus on ESPN and how they acted, okay? There's this fundamental rule in crisis communications that is whatever you're going to do in response to a crisis, do it as quickly as possible, as thoroughly as possible, and provide as much as information as possible when you do it. And given that ESPN is a news organization, <laughs> they should know this tenet. This is, this is simple sort of stuff. Where, so that they have allowed this to drag on for as long as it has is incomprehensible to me. It's either you stand by the individual and, and the fact that they, that they took ownership over their words and you know, promised to do better and, and, and apologize and moved on, and you make that decision as an organization or you remove that individual. But you can't do you can't sort of just live in limbo and hope thing, things will just disappear. It just does not work that way. The world does not work that way, particularly in these things now. And that they are being criticized to that point that their reaction was that now they're going to get rid of her. It's like just literally the worst way to do it. It's the worst way to do it for the organization. It's the worst way to do it for all the individuals involved. By the way, this is a deeply embarrassing for, for both uh, women involved in this story and incredibly frustrating. Um, and so I can only, I can only imagine how frustrating this for them. And like you said, it, it opened up to a lawsuit, like everything about the way in which they went about this was wrong. And I think it speaks to a larger issue in that everyone, it seems like ESPN in this situation and, and, and lots of sports franchises right now don't know how to handle these issues. And they're constantly reactive. They're not proactive and they're not proactive because they don't have race-based or gender-based policies to guide their organizations. And so they think they can just do things and maybe this is enough to get us by and this won't be an issue. And that, that's not a policy. And that's not creating change. That's not instituting something to, that's going to that's gonna make a difference in society that you, that you claim you want to be doing. And so the way that they react was so unprofessional and so improper from a public relations standpoint. But to me, all it says is these organizations and sports in general and, and ESPN in this case do not have still do not take is these issues seriously and, and, and do not have proper policies in place. I could go and say a lot more, but I'll just end there. Great. Yeah. I mean, what it makes me think of is, is um, how Bill Simmons ended up leaving and 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 that that organization espn was not behind him in his you know calling out or how did he put it the uh, goodell lacking testicular fortitude or or however he put it but essentially saying that you know you, there is a problem in sport uh namely the nfl and and uh, you've you've got a player here who is um you know, uh, accused of domestic violence and you're still in the league. And if I'm not allowed to report on that, or I'm not allowed to, you know, speak to that, 
um, because the organization is paying $2 billion for this, then what, what are we here to do? What is, what is the organization for? Uh, and I think that that, I think that's, uh, that's a huge problem. And now that ESPN is owned by Disney, there's even more of these are, these are the rules, you know, we can't have Paul Pierce smoking weed and, and, you know, sitting at a poker table um, because this is not the values of this organization. And therefore this person who is a very valuable asset to the, that organization, to the NBA culture, to sport um, isn't welcome here. And, and I think, you know, I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame with, with, with Rachel Nichols and how that situation ended up kind of unfolding because this is somebody who, has been a really integral part to that organization and to the NBA as, as a whole um, for, for a great many years. And, and, and to be kind of in this situation now, you know, she's, she, you're not, you're, you're right, Jordan. She was wrong in what she had said. And, and she owned that. She, she took responsibility for that on air, on live air. Um, and, and yet um, out she goes. Yeah, I think there's a couple things, like I mentioned off the top, I think there are a couple things to unpack here. With her situation specifically, let's deal with the Maria Taylor part in a second, but with the Rachel Nichols situation, she's wrong for what she said. However, in the original context of the situation, she believed she was having a private conversation with a friend. Doesn't mean what she said was right. That doesn't justify what she said. But it does set up a precedent where now you have a difficult position for ESPN where they are recognizing number one, that they have caught someone saying something inappropriate who is an employee of them. They have to deal with that, but no, recognizing that if they deal with it, they are setting themselves up for a libel situation where they should not have been in a recording. So they, she was unaware that she was being recorded. We're dealing with Bristol, Connecticut, where the server is housed, which is a two party state, meaning that both parties have to be a, uh, aware of and consent to being recorded for something to be admissible as evidence in court, meaning now she has illegally been recorded from the perspective of the law. So I think ESPN probably dragged their feet on this because they recognized that they were in a very tricky spot, right? They had they had evidence, quote unquote, of something that they knew to be wrong, but they were terrified from a from a from an organizational perspective of how to deal with it. That's wrong. That shows you the frailty of their own system. Like Elliot was saying, if you don't have a policy that's clearly laid out for this exact situation, then you've already failed. You failed before the situation even occurred. And that's clearly what happened here. This sounds more to me like lawyers got involved into the ear of of the the people with the decision-making power and scared them enough to make them afraid of just not dealing with it. They buried it under the rug and they got caught. The second part of this, though, is the timing. So I'm not going to accuse anybody of any kind of malicious behavior. However, this information is held clearly at ESPN for almost six months. It comes out during the NBA final, an incredibly valuable asset for the organization as ESPN. It's reported by the New York Times. And the second piece of this is while the NBA finals are going on, and ESPN is doing this, they just happen to be in contract negotiations with Maria Taylor, who, by the way, left the network now for arrival because she's like, I'm not going to work for this organization anymore because clearly they didn't have my back. And I think she's in the absolute right to do that. She's recognized they clearly cared more about protecting Rachel Nichols or their own asses than being fair to what 
you know, to, to someone who, who clearly said something racist about her. So she leaves the organization, they lose her. Now they chose not to discipline Rachel Nichols more than a slap on the wrist and making, giving her sort of a, a, a trial by public opinion on Twitter where they, you know, they exposed her to having to go on her own show and, and apologize. They did take her off the sidelines during the NBA finals, but she still hosted the jump every day of the NBA finals from inside the arena's lobby. Very little, if any consequences, again, other than sort of the public, you know, flogging on Twitter. Uh, but there's no reprimand. There's nothing else at that point. And now two months later, all of a sudden she's being pulled from the job. If you were, if you're going to take her off the air, take her off the fucking air when the problem exists. Don't drag your feet again. Cause now you've lost both of these incredibly talented women wow. from your organization. One of whom, yes, did something wrong. But if she did something wrong enough to be fired now, wasn't it also wrong enough to be fired back then? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Well, at I some point you get yeah. yourself into this quagmire. Well, I completely agree with you. And there's a very simple way to do with this. Like, it sounds like Rachel Nichols is like a, I, you know, I don't follow NBA as we jokingly note every episode, it seems. Um, but it seems like it was an, she was an institution in, in this organization and, and had actually a, a bit of a trailblazer for women in the sport as well, too. And, and, mm-hmm. and owned some of that as well. And, and, and had a willingness at the time in which this broke to take responsibility for it, as you said, on her own show. So, yes nothing more than a slap on the wrist. I don't know that I necessarily do. I agree with that, but certainly more could have been done and more should have been done. And they could have worked together with her on that. I'm going to take, yeah, but why wasn't it? Well, exactly. You know, but I'm just going to lay out what it could look like. You know, I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to apologize for it. I'm going to have a personal conversation uh, with the other individual involved. I'm going to take some sensitivity training. I'm going to learn from this. You know, that's how you own something. That's how you have a real conversation. I, I, I'm going to work to be better. Because as I've said on other podcasts, and I'll say here, I believe in second chances. People can make mistakes, but it's what you do. It's what you do to, as that reciprocity piece, what, what you're thinking about and, yeah. and rectify it. Exactly. Um, so clearly not enough was done. And so the blow, the blowback came back again and it got thrown back in their face. But yeah, and this that, is what I mean what about saying. setting so up was, systems. Why was standards, more not right? done in the moment, Elliot? Not what should have been done. Oh, I know. You're absolutely why, right about I, exactly. The reason is very simple. The reason is very simple. It's money. The, yeah. the NBA has this huge deal with the with, with ESPN and the NBA. That's the It's the bloody finals. They yeah. just didn't want to upstage You're their own show. Rachel Nichols and the reality that. is they were already being upstaged. They just aren't mm-hmm. – they, they're so short-sighted to recognize exactly. that they were in a shitstorm. No, I, I don't they couldn't get out of it. And that's part of the problem with ESPN is that we've now seen Braden brought up Bill Simmons, but Jamel Hill is the same thing. You know, when we got, when you get, when ESPN gets into these situations that step just a little bit outside of, ba- out of uh, sports, I should say, it's not just basketball. It seems to be basketball a lot with ESPN because that's their biggest brand outside of the NFL, but they continually they continually put themselves in this situation by not, like Elliot said, not having a clear policy or constantly trying to to sort of weasel their way out of these situations, and it only ever gets worse for them. But they they have so they've strayed so far from the almighty brand of what ESPN was in the early aughts as the go-to sports thing, built on the back of Sports Center, built on the back of amazing sports coverage. They developed talk shows. They developed, you know, think pieces. They had 30 for 30 documentary channels. What is ESPN today? Nothing but sports coverage. Why? Because they've recognized that in the era of Twitter and social media, they are not competing with 
the highlight shows anymore. People can go to Twitter and do all these things, but they've completely lost what their identity is. And in doing so, I think they've become so scared to lose even that fraction of a market they have that they're making absolutely terrible corporate decisions and they constantly put themselves in these situations where they're just shooting themselves. Don't you think they're more arrogant than that? Don't you think that this actually comes down to a bunch of executives who just think that that, that we're untouchable on this? Of course. Why is Stephen A their main man? He's just as arrogant. That's you. When you live in a world where, you know, he he can constantly consistently get away with things. I don't need to drag this on. No, for sure. But like, you know, if it's, Certainly, there's some something that's about money, Jordan, for sure. But I think a lot of it's about arrogance. I think. Well, I think as an organization, all ESPN right now is is an ad revenue generator. That's all they do. That's their entire business model. I mean, literally, their halftime show, Elliot, is two minutes long. Yeah. It used to be nine. It used to be ten. It used to be sixteen minutes long for the for the NBA. They used to actually have content. Right. They've completely abandoned countdown. They do not care about what these shows look like other than making sure that they are ad revenue generators and all they are doing is putting live content on look what they've done they just literally signed a deal with the nhl completely overpaid for what the deal was with the nhl so that they can continue to have the most live sports available because they recognize that that is the only thing that they can sell nowadays well, they got they ufc sell too. these other shows they've got the ufc they've got they've got uh the nhl they fought to get the bloody FIFA World Cup away from NBC. They'll probably try to go get the, but the, you know, it's just such a mess. They're losing so much money too that I think that you're right, Elliot. They just don't know how to, they just panic. They seem to continually panic. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of sad to watch. You know, it's such a, an established brand and we all grew up watching and knowing, you know, Berman and, and, you know, all of just, just what the brand was. And I think it's, it's, it's sad to see something so big sort of fall apart. And this is just another example of that. And we'll see where where it goes, you know, with Amazon getting an NFL deal and and the future of sports going to these other platforms. We're going to find out. So, well, that was fun. We we got a little heated there. Who doesn't love that? Uh, we've we've uh, wrapped this one up. As we mentioned, we're going to be back next week talking about the defense of the Edmonton Oilers. And I know Elliot is hot and bothered under his tank top collar yeah, about absolutely. it. And I don't think it's and just Elliot out there in the Oilers fandom. Exactly. So you can all look forward to that. People. We'll be back next Sunday to talk, I can't wait. Uh, to talk Oilers defense. And as I mentioned off the top, please go check out the Backyard Basketball Podcast. It's really, really good. It's long-form basketball talk. If you enjoy basketball, NBA, uh, Braden and Christian break it down, and they have a great repartee, and they have a great banter. And they they really, I mean, they know their stuff, but more than anything for me, it's like sitting in on uh, and listening to two guys who just love basketball talk basketball. It's awesome. It's love to see basketball hosts that aren't racist. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, there Uh, you go. And we also have the Pit Stop Podcast coming to you. Uh, this will come up Monday, so we will have that tomorrow on Tuesday. So look forward to that. Lots of content this week. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. Both of you contributing an ample amount of content yourselves. Have a good week, both of you, and thank you all for listening. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. At one point, ESPN was so full of themselves, and they tried to launch a phone. Go well, look that shit up. You just call in, and, and they just no, no, tell no. you about sports. No, no, no. It was a piece of hardware, Braden, like an iPhone. Oh. In like 2004, 2005, when every freaking uh-huh. company was coming out with their own phone, they had an ESPN phone. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... 
Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.